ปุถังธรรมังสังขังนมัสสัง
and the, the teaching that you've received is that all compounded things are impermanent. And so you're busy reflecting on, oh, resentment is impermanent, resentment is impermanent, yeah, everything's impermanent. Reflecting on impermanence may not be the right thing to be, the right skillful means to be applying if you're possessed by resentment or ill will. And to be able to let go of the resentment and ill will that is the lack of forgiveness may be another skillful means is called for. And developing agility and paying attention to the obstruction that we've encountered is this approach working? Yeah. Was it not working? So. so this evening I particularly wanted to talk about one or two skillful means that I have found helpful and, and I would say probably the most helpful uh, are those that lead to developing what I refer to as judgment-free awareness judgment-free awareness and this tendency that so many people suffer from that is to always be caught up in taking sides for and against perpetually judging it should be like this it shouldn't be like that I should be like this I shouldn't be like that there's always taking sides for and against from one perspective, it's perfectly natural. It's uh, discriminative intelligence. We wouldn't want to be without it. It's a great tool and it helps us analyze the situations we find ourselves in. What sort of food should I be eating? And if you're suffering from being overweight, then you know, use the discriminative intelligence to, to think about the situations we find ourselves in. And, what's needed in this situation. And so the discriminating mind itself is not a problem. However, to always be caught up in thinking about, should it be like this? Should it be like that? Should I do this? Should I do that? Why do they do this? Why do they do that? that endlessly taking sides can be excruciatingly painful. And speaking from personal experience here, yeah, to always be taking sides for and against ourselves and, and pulling ourselves apart in the process. And so this teaching that we receive from the Buddha uh, can help us address this. Last night we were chanting together the Tamachaka Bhavatana Sutta, the, the very first discourse that the Buddha gave, and he was addressing just this. He was you know, talking about the tendency to get lost in indulging in pleasure indulging in liking, and the other extreme, indulging in disliking. And these two extremes that, if we're not careful, if nobody points out to us that there's an alternative, then we can spend our whole life doing that. Just seeking that which is agreeable, and <clears throat> hoping we're going to have more lovely holidays, get younger and more beautiful as the years go by, but quietly terrified that actually we're going to get more uncomfortable and, and less beautiful as the years go by. And then eventually we're going to die. Well, that's an awful thought, so we, we try to avoid that. So we deny the pain and we indulge in, in the liking and we tear ourselves apart in the process. And 
the Buddha recognized this tendency and addressed it in his teaching that he referred to the middle way, that possibility of cultivating a perspective on viewing experience which is neither indulging nor denying. And so this is a great opportunity we've been offered to reflect on the struggle that we find ourselves caught up in. And up until relatively recently, the human family has had a variety of <coughs> religions which tended to give people the option of not believing in their preferences too much. And, and when over the last few decades, the last century maybe, that a lot of those religions have lost their sway, lost their influence, and, and now as it happens, a huge percentage of the human population is no longer protected against these tendencies of denying and indulging. And so we have this current predicament of extremism. It's the natural consequence of not having a perspective on the tendencies of the mind. Liking and disliking are perfectly normal. If we don't have a perspective on liking and disliking, then we just follow them and we tear ourselves apart. So we have this teaching, the Buddha's teachings, the Eightfold Path, which encourages us to reflect on these tendencies. We use our meditation exercises. We use daily reflections to build up the strength of mindfulness, to build up the capacity for reflecting on the cause and effect of the difficulties we encounter in life. So in this case, the difficulty of always being caught up in judging and taking sides, liking, disliking, taking sides for, taking sides against. So to a large degree, in the current predicament that we find ourselves in as human civilization, I, I would say, is, is a result of the falling away of the influence of religion and its wholesome manifestations. There are these days still various religions around and their fundamentalist expressions and fundamentalist religions are just another form of extremism and so they don't serve that purpose of protecting us against our tendencies to indulge and deny. But the loss of influence over the last century of the helpful religions has contributed to people becoming more self-centered and my preferences, my likes, my dislikes have become more important than ever and also the rise of influence of secular materialism. Whatever the causes are, we're still stuck with this predicament of habitually taking sides for and against. And if we bring this into our spiritual life and if we're not careful, we can compound the dysfunction. We can compound this taking sides. It's not rare that I, I hear people who've been meditating and following spiritual disciplines for many years sometimes when they talk about their practice and their efforts that they're making, there's a, a really regrettable tone of judging going on. I should be doing better than this now. I should have better samadhi. I should have cracked the jhanas by now. I shouldn't be struggling with a lack of forgiveness. I should have more patience. And this is something some people after many, many years of practice. And when I hear that, I think, hmm, 
It sounds like that, what I refer to as the compulsive judging disorder. The compulsive judging disorder, always taking sides, not recognized, unfortunately. Again, the kind of education we receive, it encourages this you know, discriminative intelligence. And if it's not balanced or relativized by decent spiritual teachings, well, then we tend to become identified with that. I am as good as I can think. Yeah, the smarter I am, the better I am. And, of course, it doesn't take a lot of thinking to realize that's not true. A lot of very smart people are seriously out of balance. And so this predicament we find ourselves in, and I say we, even people who have committed themselves to spiritual practices can still be indulging in this tendency of habitually taking sides and the compulsive judging disorder, always thinking that they're obliged to take sides for or against. And most people who are lost in this that I meet are on the negative side, criticize themselves. And occasionally I meet somebody who thinks that oh, they're absolutely the bee's knees, uh, the cat's whiskers. They really think they're absolutely great and they're sharing how great they are with me. And that's just the other side, taking sides for themselves. So probably at least to some degree, all of us recognize this, that we get caught up in judging ourselves, judging others, judging the judging. Get interested in this predicament, and you start to see how compulsive the tendency is. You say, well, that, you know, I, I ought to stop this judging. And so we try to stop it. Well, there we are, we're just judging the judging. We need to get much more subtle than that. So this is where I sometimes recommend the upaya or the skillful means of putting time aside to address this, this dysfunction, the compulsive judging disorder. Put time aside, stop meditating. I know when I tell people they should stop meditating, they freak out. Oh, meditation is their thing. That's what they've been doing for years. However, if what they've been doing for years is not taking them to a sense of balance, of ease, of well-being, of increased competence, then maybe we need to get a little agile and try something slightly different. So it's true in some for some people, I really should just stop meditating and instead sit in a chair. What I recommend is sometimes try sitting in a chair for 15 minutes a day and intentionally don't meditate. Just quietly in your room alone, sit there and watch, listen, particularly listening for any internal conversation that has the word should in it. I should be meditating. I shouldn't be judging. So, ah, there it is. There it is. That's it. Oh, well, I shouldn't be judging. There it is again. Well, I really shouldn't be judging. There it is again. I shouldn't be judging. There shouldn't be. Well, there it is again. Get really interested in that. Until maybe it dawns on us that do we have to be doing this? Do we have to be judging the judging mind? And if that doubt arises, if you have the good fortune for that to appear, if you get interested enough and 
careful enough and subtle enough, and if you've suffered enough, then that might happen. You discover the possibility of no judging the judging mind, is a falling away. Not losing the discriminative intelligence, not losing the capacity to judge, not losing the, the possibility of analyzing, discriminating, and comparing. That would be really unfortunate. We're not talking about losing it, we're talking about the difference between being caught up in a fog where you can hardly see a few inches in front of you and sitting back and watching a remote cloud pass across the sky. That sort of difference. Of course, the discriminating mind has got a place, a very important place. However, because we often attach to it, cling to it, it becomes part of our core part of our identity, then we become possessed by it and caught up in, again, what I refer to as the compulsive judging disorder. So just to name that as one skillful means, which if you do find it useful and you reach that point of no judging the judging mind and there's this, oh, oh, it's a choice. You always had this choice, you just didn't realise it. You don't have to be judging the tendency to take sides. It's a choice. And now, you're, hopefully, if you reach the point where you realise you have that choice and it falls away, it's a, a wonderful sense of relaxation. You can make mistakes and learn from them. You can get it wrong and learn from them. And hopefully, you don't get it wrong outside the precepts. But even within the precepts, we can make all sorts of misjudgments and get things wrong. However, we're always taking sides for and against ourselves and tearing ourselves apart, criticising and judging or praising and setting ourselves up for disappointment later on, whichever direction we're going in, praising or blaming ourselves, we're tearing ourselves apart. And if we can find a way out of that, well, it can be a great relief and a lot of pleasure and can arise. And of course, such a relief can be very welcome. At that point, I would encourage us all, however, to also remember not getting lost in that. On a more subtle level, even when the pleasure of letting go of such a dysfunction happens, if we're not careful, we can get lost in that pleasure. Similar to how sometimes people set out on a spiritual journey and then they come across various imbalances in, in their character and decide what they need is to go and do psychotherapy. Absolutely, congratulations if that's what's needed and you find the right kind of therapist for you and you do the work and, and then you address the dysfunction and you find your way back to a degree of balance, it a source of happiness. However, that conventional happiness, it's important we don't mistake that for some sort of a spiritual goal. That's, that's not a spiritual goal, that's just conventional well-being and welcome as it is and to be enjoyed as it could be, let's be careful to not mistake it for the goal of spiritual practice. In Buddhism, the goal of spiritual practice is, as we started off by talking about, that realization that arises in the hearts and minds of those beings who have managed to untangle that knot of deluded the deluded self. And the deluded self is a very complex, tricky 
matter. And it takes a lot of very careful, very subtle, very patient, very sincere investigation that takes us to a different level of practice. However, if we're obstructed on a less subtle level, a more surface level like I've been talking about and you know, suffering from the compulsive judging disorder and we're busy trying to apply the subtle spiritual techniques like investigating the Buddha's teaching on non-self, on anatta, then we can feel very frustrated and very disappointed. So first, let's all be careful to address any compulsive tendencies we have to always be praising and blaming ourselves and each other. Let's address that. And if we do address that successfully, then let's be careful not just to assume that that's some sort of an end in itself. That's just a stage of preparing ourselves for the more subtle investigation. And here perhaps I could mention something, another upaya that I have personally found particularly useful and would recommend, and that is the inquiring into the question of who. Even if we manage to reach an agreeable degree of integration and well-being in the early stages of practice, it's very likely there's going to be a perception, may well be very subtle, but still a perception and, and a troubling perception of I. I have developed some tranquility. I have made some progress. Who is this I? Now, inquiring into this, as I said, requires a great deal of subtlety and, and patience and, and sincerity and caution. Because we're undermining deeply held assumptions here, like the assumption that there is a, a substantial, permanent I here. And we see it, we hear it all around us, most people totally convinced that there's a permanent eye. However, they don't stop and question, where did it come from? Were we born with it? Like you look at a child, has a newly born child got a really substantial sense of eye? Really? Even when a child starts to talk, how many years does it take before we can have a meaningful conversation about personal responsibility? Yeah, probably five, six, seven years at least. This sense of eye that we end up being mistaken that as it, it develops over a period of years and then as the years go by and towards the end of our life for many people it disintegrates and say oh grandma's not there anymore or grandpa's gone well the body's still there well where did grandpa go who was grandpa anyway who is this I what is this I so this inquiry this inquiry into who we're allowed to and we'd be encouraged to get quite creative and finding how to apply this upai or the skillful means of inquiring, this asking this question. I would caution against getting too heroic about it and we're too zealous in our efforts and try and discover the meaning of the Buddha's teachings on anatta and we get quite aggressive and assertive and we could indeed hurt ourselves. So, 
on that point, I would encourage seeking the benefit of those who have walked the, the journey ahead of us, those who know, who have skill in applying these upaya, these skillful means, and listen to the teachings and observe the manners and the conduct of those who are wiser and, and more skilled than we are and benefit from, if you have the opportunity to benefit from spending time in their company. And There's a Dhammapada verse where Dhammapada verse 90 where the Buddha talks about there is no stress for those who have completed their journey and have become free from the limitations of all binding ties. There is no stress for those who have completed their journey and have become free from limitations of all binding ties. So that's skillful. That's nourishing to seek out such company, to listen to the teachings from those who are more skilled than we are, and also to exercise great patience and gentleness. The conditioned tendencies that we have, and if we are in too much of a hurry to address the, what we perceive as obstructions on this journey, we can, in fact, create more obstructions. So thank you very much this evening for your attention. <coughs> Sarah. Uh-huh.